morning. We will be in Hebrews. Um, we'll be in the first few parts, few verses. So no, we won't go throughout the whole book in the next. I'll give myself about an hour and a half here, if that's okay. Um, okay, good. Thank you. All right, let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful um, that you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, we're thankful that um, we can be here today in the midst of brothers and sisters, um, in the midst of your presence, worshiping you, um, being fed by you, Lord. Father, as we go through these um, uh, these uh, pretty important texts here, Lord, that you would um, bless us, that you would speak to us, Lord, but not just so that we would hear you, but that so we would be moved to go out and to do the word all as well, Lord. Father, we love you, and we are so thankful that it is you um, who works all things together for good. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. If you don't know, the book of Hebrews is kind of a, a, a kind of a groovy book. It's first of all, it's wonderful. If you if you read through it, you'll find that it's wonderful, majestic, and even beautiful at times. Um, I as I was studying this first part out here, um, and we're going to look at verses one through three or four. Um, I didn't realize this because it doesn't show up in the in the English, but there's, in the Greek, there's some alliteration that's going on within these verses here, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, but these three, outside of that, these three verses that we're going to look at bear a great weight of either importance or insight. Um, and what, we, what I mean by that is that these three verses sets the theme and the structure for the rest of the book. The theme, if you didn't know by the title, is the first half of the title, The Supremacy of Christ. And so as the author goes through this book, he's opening up how and why Christ is supreme over these other things that he's bringing up. And that takes us to the structure. There's this juxtaposition or this comparison between Christ and um, some Old Testament um, precursor, if you want to say that, and um, they kind of work together to support uh, um, the, the, the structure works to, to support and to validate, make clear the theme here. Um, to give you an example real quick, if we look at uh, verse, uh, that's not right in my notes, if we look at verse one, it says, God who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. And in verse two, two, we have in these last days spoken to us by his son. So we see the juxtaposition here of um, in time past to in these last days from to the fathers to, to us and by the prophets and by his son. And this kind of intertwining of theme and structure, uh, again, uh, 
sets the tone of the book. Um, and if you recall what Dan read in the rest of the chapter, in the rest of chapter one, and even spilling into chapter two, there's this comparison between angels and Jesus. Um, moving on to chapter three, we get a comparison of Moses and Jesus, and then further on, the high priests and Jesus, and then uh, Melchizedek and, and Jesus, and then animal sacrifices along with Jesus' sacrifice. Um, and, and in fact, if I, if I remember, because um, I didn't write it down in my notes, there's a section in here that kind of is opened up by later, passage, later chapters here. So um, we're going to look at the supremacy of Christ here in relation to God speaking and into whom God has spoken to. So let's go into the text here. Verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. The first thing that we notice here is that God spoke. And the first thing that we need to realize and to constantly keep in our minds, at least I think we should keep it constant in our minds, is that God has never not been a communicative God. He's always spoken. In the beginning, God spoke creation into world. And he pretty much sets up the rest of history like that, he being God. He's always spoken and been an active participant in his creation and in history here. Now, when we look at uh, the terms various times in, in various ways, we notice that when we go through the Old Testament that he speaks, and sometimes there'll be um, uh, a section where it kind of jumps to different um, lineages, if you want. And so he'll speak, well, for instance, he'll speak to Abraham, and then we get the Abraham uh, story, and then there'll be a break, and then we get into Exodus. And so there's some time that has passed where um, God is written down as ha having spoken. And um, in the various ways that he speaks, it could have been through visions, through dreams, through a donkey, through Urim, through uh, uh, the angel of the Lord um, in, in various places of the Old Testament. And so we see that God has established that he is a communicative, active God who is revealing himself to people. He's not ever withheld who he is from any person ever in the world. Um, and this divine revelation that he continues to give to uh, people that are recorded in the scriptures is the second blessing. And it is a, a good um, and most excellent thing that God is speaking. Um, let's move on here and then I'll t come back to that. Uh, in verse 1b, he says that um, in various ways he spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now, in time past doesn't necessarily mean it was a distant time. It doesn't mean that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, God spoke. That's not what he's saying. He's, it's, it's more like there's a different era. In an old era, God spoke to the fathers 
by the prophets. And here, we should not just look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those fathers, as it were, and not just the prophetic books when he says by the prophets, but we must consider the whole of the all, the whole of the all, the, we must consider the whole of the Old Testament as this speaking of God. And again, um, when the author of Hebrews is pulling this out and drawing this out and, and, and making these comments, he's saying that at this point in this era, it was a wonderful thing that God would speak to people, that the, the, God, that the holy God, who cannot be in the presence of sin, would condescend and make ways to speak to people. Imagine a CEO of a company, okay? We're, we're, we're all part of a company here. We're all employees there. Um, and we know that there's a CEO. But the CEO um, only communicates through memos. So he sends a memo out. And the memo goes out. Um, and let's, let's see what, maybe it's a really good memo, like, we're building a cafeteria in the building, and you can have whatever food you want, anytime you want, and it's free lunch every day. Um, everyone gets free insurance from here on out. You don't have to pay for nothing or anything if you want to be proper. And um, what, whatever existing condition that you have, that's got to be covered. And my favorite would be that the CEO is putting in a nap room, and that siesta time will occur regularly. Um, but that memo goes out to department heads. And then the department heads send that to the supervisors of the departments. So the accounting head would get that memo, send that memo out to the supervisors of, 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 the, of, the, of the accountants. And then that supervisor of the accountants, whatever, however that's broken up, would send it to the employees. Likewise for HR, human resources, likewise for the maintenance people, uh, and even for the upcoming cafeteria workers. Now, that's a great thing that this CEO is doing these good things and he's communicating all this good stuff to his people because he's keeping in touch with his people. However, if you, look, if you think about it, there's still this separation of sorts, isn't there? There it goes from uh, CEO to, um, to the head of... Uh, of accounting to the supervisors over the accountants and then to the accountants. There's these steps. There's someone always standing in between the CEO and to the employee to the accountant here. And throughout, these are, yes, they're specifically chosen by the CEO who's going to relay these messages. Um, and, and likewise, God has chosen who he's going to speak to and um, to what degree he's going to speak to them. But these people are faulted, sinful people, sinful men who need to be, um, who, who are not, uh, uh, they're like us. They're, 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 they're not much different than us, except for the fact that they're chosen. But on top of all of that, the memo that is sent out has this um, problem, if you want to call it a problem, but maybe it's not a problem, because it was uh, something that the Old Testament folks looked to. They were, and that's the point. They were look, looking towards it. They were anticipating. 
They were waiting. And so they would get the memo. The memo would hang in their little cubicle or in, 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 the, in the maintenance shop, wherever they're at. And it will say, at some point, we're going to get a cafeteria, we're going to get a nap room, and we're going to get full coverage insurance. And that's what it's like, what, or no, it's not. That's an illustration of how God is speaking or has spoke to the fathers by the prophets in this step order. But then in verse 2 comes a different era. And I would venture to say that as good and awesome as it was that, this, that God was speaking to people in the old era, that we've come under a new and better era. In fact, if you read through Hebrews, you're going to find that when there's this comparison between Jesus and whatever Old Testament thing that was mentioned prior, the word better keeps coming up. For instance, I th during communion I read, uh, I think it was out of Hebrews 8, when I was talking about the Old and New Covenant and saying that the New Covenant was the better covenant. But coming back to verse 2 here, in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And again, in these last days, it doesn't, it doesn't mean, um, well, well, let's not go there. It means that we are in a new and different era. That there's the era of, of how the, the, the memo was transferred through these steps has changed because he's speaking to us by his son. There's this direct communication to us. There's no separation anymore. And we, and we can rely and we can trust in how God is speaking to us in these days um, because he's speaking to us in, with, by, by his son, the one who is with him. He's right there. He, whatever his, he said that what he does whatever his father does. Um, uh, God says about his son, behold, this is my son in whom well please Listen to him. And so there comes this, um, when we look at, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, the scripture says, we see the Father. And so in that era, it's already better because we're having the actual, the eternally um, generated Son of the Father here. And then we get a sense of finality and fulfillment because of that. Let's go back to that illustration with the CEO. Now imagine uh, the CEO He's not sending out memos uh, the way he did before. This is a new era. The sun's come, on, come along. The sun's in charge here. And so the sun goes out, and he takes the memo of free lunches in the new cafeteria, nap rooms, and uh, full coverage insurance to the department heads. Uh, and he does this for each department head. So he'll go to the accounting department, talk to that accounting department, the head of that the uh, accounting department, and tell him what's going on. And the accounting head will say, "All right, you're going to relay the message to to the supervisor so that he can." No, 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 I'll, I'll go tell him. So the son of the CEO goes to the supervisor of the accounting, and he's going to have a long day because he's going through the whole building, um, and talks to the supervisor, tells him. 
new cafeteria, full coverage insurance, uh, and swanky nap rooms. And then the supervisor says, all right, let me tell the, let me tell the employees. And, and the son says, no, no, I'm going to go tell the employees. And so he goes to Bill, and then he goes to Sally, and he goes to Tim, and he's telling them all these things individually here, as it were. And then he, but he's just not concerned about the corporate level. He goes down to sales, does the same thing with sales. He goes down to maintenance, does the same thing with maintenance. And then he realizes he missed someone, and that someone was, was Jeff, not this Jeff, but uh, Jeff's the janitor of this building. And he's asking people, where's Jeff? I need to tell him about all this stuff that he's entitled to. And he's there, like, oh, he's in the bathroom cleaning the toilets. So the son goes into the bathroom, says, hey, Jeff. They shake hands. Jeff took the glove off. It's clean hands. Um, Jeff, you're gonna, we're gonna, I just want you to know that we're gonna have a new cafeteria and you can order whatever you want. It's on us that um, you can take a nap after you're done cleaning these restrooms and that you and your family are gonna have full coverage health insurance regardless of pre-existing conditions. And Jeff, we'll say he breaks down because his wife has cancer. But he doesn't break down because he breaks down because he's overwhelmed because he knows that because the son came to him and said that this full coverage insurance is theirs, he knows that it's a, a done deal. He knows there's a finality. He knows that he's not waiting for that to kick in, but the son has already guaranteed that and promised it to, um, to Jeff and to everyone else. And likewise, that's what we have here in the first part of verse 2. When um, God speaks to us, when it says that God has spoken to us by his son, he, he's selling that there's a finality, that there's no more waiting, that the son is here, and that the son has brought all these things that were promised in the old way of, of, of speaking. There's no more waiting. But outside of being his son, I mean, that's a really important thing, how can we trust it? How can we understand that there is this finality? Well, it's because this is God's son. He, yes, Jesus preferred to be identified as the son of man, but here we're looking at, and, and that speaking to, of his humanity, but here we're looking at God's son and his divinity here. And we see that in the next few phrases. And the first phrase we have here is that he, um, whom he has appointed heir of all things. We know that God's son has this title of the heir of all things, meaning that he's in charge of everything. Everything belongs to him. He owns everything. Whatever he wants to do with everything, that will be done. Whether it's the trees outside or the sun in the in the technically not the sky, but the sun out there, or any, each and any one of us in here, whatever he wants to do with us, whatever he pleases to do, he has the authority to do that. Whether it's to bless us with um, a never-ending bank account, 
or whether he chooses to bless us with seemingly never-ending physical pain. Because he knows that it's good for us. And well, if he's bringing us never-ending physical pain, how can we, how can we say that we trust that? How, how, how can we be assured that this is a good thing, that the son is in charge? Well, in the next phrase, it says that through whom also he made the worlds. So not only, and, and it says in verse 10 here of this chapter, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. And, and we know that it was through him um, and for him and by him that all things were made, that he was the word, that he was the, the, the um, active agent in creating everything when the Father spoke, and that everything was good and perfect when he made them. But above that, he knows the intricacies of everything that he's created. He knows every little part about us, about the trees and everything. And, and so um, being divine and being God, and if he's blessing us with something that's difficult for us, he understands to what degree, um, well, he understands how to heal us. He understands the emotional aspect of that. He understands what we need to be healed. But he also understands what we're going through. And he understands that um, what we need. But maybe that's not enough for us to trust in that it's a great thing that God has spoken. Well, in verse 3, it says that the Son is uh, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So the brightness of his glory, some of your um, Bibles will be translated as uh, the radiance of God's glory. And, and that's just the, um, the, the shining forth, the effulgent, the shining forth of God's glory. So when we look at, when we look at the sun, we see God's glory fully uh, on, on, on display here. And this idea of the express image um, really comes from the, the, the impression or the mark of a coin. Like, if you take a coin and you press it into Play-Doh, and you're going to see all the, um, uh, the, the, the shapes of the face and the words on the coin there. And, and maybe if it's surrounding the coin, you'll see the ridges of the coin on the Play-Doh. And what that means is um, we're seeing the attributes of God. Jimmy brought this up in his, um, in, in his opening. That, Christ, the, that the Son is the image of the invisible God. And so when we look at the Son, all the attributes that we can put towards the Father, we can put towards the Son and, and rest in that. We can trust in His holiness and in His, in his goodness and His mercifulness, in His wisdom and His love, His eternality, His um, uncreatedness. Uh, they will perish, but you remain. His om- omnipotence, his, his power, which we'll get to in a second, his, um, his perfection, his omniscience, knowing all things, and his omnipresence. And yes, Jesus is omnipresent at all times.
And so when we look at the sun, we can know that it, when, when the CEO, when, when God was speaking through all these people and, and that was a good thing, we, we, we know that it was, it, it's, a, it's an even better, gooder thing that he's speaking through his son because this is, uh, his son is a, is a, a, a representative, uh, uh, um, an exact imprint of the father here. And so we know that the goodness of the father still comes through, that the mercy of the father still comes through. And the power of the Father still comes through, as it says in the next phrase, sustaining all things, um, through whom, um, uh, and upholding all things by the word of his power. And we know that um, um, he's active, and he's intentional, and he's an intricate in how he's upholding all of creation. If Jesus ever decided to quit being Jesus, then everything would just disappear. There, there would be no atoms. There would be no molecules. There would be no more sunlight. There would be no more grass. There would be none of us here. But because he is the eternal son and because of, 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 his, of the power that he has, um, everything is held together whether it be the benches, the pews that you're sitting in or your own physical bodies. He's holding it together by the um, word of his power. And he's able to do that because he's God. And he's willing to do that because he's a good God. And that is most clearly seen in the next phrase here. When he had by himself purged our sins. In chapter 10, um, as, as this author is dealing with animal sacrifices and Christ sacrifice, he says in verse 11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Well, let's pause there for a second. Um, not only are the priests making daily offerings um, repeatedly for the sin... Um, the same sacrifices for the same sins, they have to be, they have to make a sacrifice for themselves first, it says, early in the, in the, in the book. But not so with Jesus. Um, verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So this perfect, holy, without sin God, because he is a good and loving God, came down and purged of us our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness in him. And so he, he cleanses us um, as I, as I read, of all of our sins. And, and we are no longer guilty of the sins that we commit. He's taking care of that for us because he is a good God and a loving God. And that because he's God, he can do that. And because he's done that, um, we see that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's on the king's throne. He's, he, he's majestically 
um, rolling from, from the, 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 the right hand of the Father everything that's happening. And again, this goes back to the authority that the Son has. And so when hard and difficult times come into our lives, we can trust in uh, the Son of God because he is supreme. No other prophet ever did this in the Old Testament. No other, there's no other um, being that could have done this for us. And in, in the context of God speaking here, again, we're not saying that the way that God spoke or what he said back then was um, deficient. But what we are saying is that him speaking now to us by his son is the better way of him speaking. Because there comes this this, this sense of authority from God, but yet this graciousness and this holiness and this, 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 this per perfectedness or perfectness and not just the ability, but the finality that we know that looking towards Christ, looking towards the Son, looking towards Jesus, that all the promises are true. I believe the scripture says that in him all the promises of God are yes. But all the promises of God were not necessarily yes in to the fathers by the prophets. They were, this is coming. And now it's come here. Now, I, I, I'll be honest, going through this, um, I really struggled with the application. Um, and a lot of different thoughts came to my head. Um, first of all, um, what do we do with the scriptures then? Well, what we do with the scriptures is that um, we, we, we read it and we trust it and we believe it. We understand that the Old Testament isn't wrong, isn't deficient. It's good for us to know uh, the Old Testament. And if you've come to our Life of David Bible study that we, we've been having, you'll see how um, good it is. But we need to understand that in this, in this New Testament, new, new era here, not the Testament era are the same, in this new era, we clearly see Jesus. In the Old Testament, he's kind of vaguely seen. The promise is still waiting. But once we get into Matthew, through Revelation, we see the promises fulfilled. And, and, and so as we're um, chugging down the New Testament, we should, not going to go there, we should be taking um, drinks out of the Old Testament because the Old Testament will help us to understand certain aspects of the New Testament. No, reverse that. Here's an example. I used to not like reading Leviticus. I would go through these Bible reading plans against uh, the warnings of a wise old man. Because um, every time I got to Leviticus, I'd read the first chapter, and I'd stop and read Philemon because I just needed a break. Um, but the more I spent 
in the New Testament, the more of my understanding of Leviticus grew. But not just my understanding of Leviticus, my desire to want to read Leviticus. Now, I'm not having a party every time I read Leviticus, but it went from drinking sand to drinking a, a, at least a warm cup of water when I'm thirsty. And I'm sure that as I spend more time in the New Testament, Levit Leviticus will start getting an ice cube dropped into it, so where it will become refreshing to understand what Christ did for us in one sense. But in a real sense, what we could have never done because we weren't Jews, we weren't Israel, we were Gentiles. That was for, that was for a different people. But because of Jesus, he's opened up the doorway for all of us to come to him. Um, clearly, I kept using the word trust. And I was wondering, what's the difference between believing and trusting? And there's a big difference. I can believe that the parachute will open up when I jump out of, a one, uh, out of an airplane. But trusting it is a completely different thing. And so, as we understand who the Son is more and more in light of uh, the Father revealing himself through, uh, through him, we can trust him more and more to where we're going through hard times our knee-jerk reaction isn't panic and pulling out our hair or trying to find the right bolts to fix whatever this mechanical problem is um, figuratively um, but to fall down and pray to him knowing that he is the um, authority over everything knowing that he did create everything that we're dealing with that isn't sin. Knowing that he is a good God and that he is a loving God and he is the only source of wisdom. Knowing that he has this intimate um, uh, uh, connection to us to where he cares for us and he provides for us. I mean, if the bird is going to get the warm, don't you think we're going to at least get a, uh, a cheeseburger? Maybe not. Maybe something more healthy than a cheeseburger. I don't know. I'm not going to guarantee everyone's going to get a cheeseburger. But do you see what I mean? Like, we can trust him for everything instead of relying on um, how can I fix this? Or how can I change someone's mind or attitude? Or how can I stop someone from sinning? Or how can I, 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 when it should be, no. Why am I not praying and asking God to give me the strength to endure this temptation today? Why am I not praying to God to um, give me the grace to deal with this brother or this sister today? Why am I not praying to God and um, asking him to relieve me of, of whatever uh, ailment or whatever burden that is upon me? I mean, First Peter says, cast your cares upon him because he, he cares for you. And so we should be casting all our anxieties upon him. And I guess that leads me to my last uh, point of application, which is prayer. We should be a praying people. 
There should not be a moment in our day where we're not praying. Whether it's giving thanks, because if you go back to Romans 1, they didn't acknowledge God as who he is, and they did not give thanks. Because um, everything that we've been given comes from the authoritative uh, God who is good and who has blessed these things with for us. And we need to remember that we can always come to, to the Son. And when we come to the Son, we're coming to the Father. He is our advocate. He's, got, he's in, our, in, our, in our corner um, rallying for us and defending us and, and being our lawyer, as it were. And he's our intercessor, and he's all praying on our behalf. And he's got, even got his spirit wrapped up into this. And remember, there's no separation anymore once we come to Christ. That when we come to the Son, we're coming to the Father, and the Father is hearing us through him. And the cool thing is that he's speaking back to us through the Son here. We don't have to stand with um, priests or liturgy. And, and my big thing is music. I love music. Um, and actually when we were worshiping, I was, I, I was like, I've never heard Revelation songs sound like a Rolling Stone song before, and it sounded great. Um, but the, the music isn't the ultimate. You know, the words aren't even the ultimate. The ultimate is Jesus. And who he is um, speaking to me through his word. And that's the, the application was the sufficiency part, by the way. I just didn't say that. Um, but to those of us here who do not see um, Christ as being authoritative, as being good, as being God, why not? Why not? What about God? What about Jesus is not good? Is it the fact that um, he's loving? That he's kind? That he's compassionate? That um, he, uh, um, how's the word? That he has a spot for the oppressed and the poor? That he, he commands his church to look out for the widows and for the orphans, for the, for the, for the, the most vulnerable people? What's so, what's so bad about that? Why do you reject that? Why do you reject a God who, who's willing to lay down his life for you? Who, who even though knows that you're at enmity with him, that you're at war with him, that, that you refuse him, still calls out to you and says, if you come and trust in me and believe in me, you will be purged of your sins. The once for all sacrifice will be applied to you and you'll be guilty of your sins no more. I know I used to be like that. Rejecting, I sat, first I sat up here and then one time, uh, and this was, I guess, the death nail in the old Chris coffin. I sat somewhere out in that way and um, it really struck me 
Why would I not want the goodness of God in my life always through his love, through his son? Why do I still rally? Rally? Why do I still fight against him? Why do I still deny him? Why do I still um, sin against him and treat him like garbage? When he's only proved and only shown how good he is. Even with the wrath that was coming upon me, he dealt with that in a good and loving way. So I just urge you to come to him. See that he is sufficient for all of all your sins. You don't need to go to um, confession. You just need to go to him. You don't need to to whip yourself or to make donations to anything. You just need to come to Christ and find that sufficiency of salvation in him because he is the supreme God of life and of love. And he says that no one comes to him or no one can come to the Father except through him. So I just pray that you would come to the, to the Son and, and, and receive the good gift that the Father gives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. Oh my goodness. Where would we be without him? Where would we be? We'd be, we, we, we'd be lost. We'd be sinners just running amok. The, the, we're just so thankful that we can come to Jesus and have everything um, fulfilled. We can be... A, a, you know, they always talk about identity. Our identity is filled in, in, in Jesus Christ. We know who we are in Jesus Christ. Um, we know where we stand with you in Jesus Christ. And, and we know where we stand with one another in Jesus Christ, Lord. Oh, Father, I'm so thankful for the work that you're doing through your son. I just pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who is not saved, who is not trusted in the name of of your son, of, 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 of the one who sits at your right hand, the one who, who is in charge of all things, the one who intimately knows every point and every part of creation, the one who shines forth your glory and, 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 and your, your attributes and your character. When we look at Jesus, we can see you, Father. And the one who um, purged our sins. I pray, Lord, that you would save them. I, I pray that you would um, help them to understand by your spirit um, the depth of their sin. Um, but even great, the greater depth of your grace, Lord, we pray in Christ's name.